we've been doing a two-week series called Alive and Free. And uh, just a, a couple of uh, quick announcements that uh, Joy didn't mention earlier that I wanted to mention. Uh, one is that uh, nine days from now, on Ju- Tuesday, June 2nd at 7 o'clock, uh, we're having Coastal Day at the River Dogs uh, game. So if, uh, if you would like to get tickets for that, they're $10. You can see me out here in the Welcome Center right after the service. Uh, some of you have already reserved tickets through your Connect card. Also, go ahead and see me so that I can get those to you. Uh, but this is just an awesome time. It's a fundraiser for our students for summer camp. Out of that $10, 5 goes to our students for camp. Uh, so make sure and, and grab a ticket and come and hang out. There's a, we, last year we had like 140 people go. We're at like, I think like 85 right now after some of the ones that sold uh, just a little bit ago uh, before this service from the previous service. So uh, come and enjoy just a, a night at the, at the ballpark with everybody. Great way to meet uh, some new people and just to fellowship together. Uh, the other thing is that in your bulletin there is an insert about Vacation Bible School. I just want to encourage each one of you to take a look at that. Vacation Bible School is an all-hands-on-deck uh, ministry event uh, here at Coastal, and we would love for you to be a part of it. It is something that it takes a lot of people to do, uh, to be a lot of people to pull off well, and it is a great way to serve, a great way to minister to, uh, to our community. And uh, some of you are like, man, I just don't do kids. I don't like kids. That's all right. We can find something for you to do uh, if you're like, man, I just don't want to be around them. You know, like, I, we get, I get that. I understand. I can understand. Uh, you know, but uh, we will find something else for you to be able to do. And I just want to encourage you to, to take part and to join in that because it is an awesome event, an awesome time uh, for kids to be able to come and to be able to hear the gospel, to join in games and songs and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so make sure you take a look at that, that insert that is in your bulletin. Uh, today, uh, this is Memorial Day weekend. It is an exciting time. How many of you are off work tomorrow? Anybody off work? Yes. All the other people are like, yeah. you know, I, I, you're, you're mad at all those people that just raised their hand. Uh, Memorial Day weekend, uh, Monday off, man, just an, an exciting uh, time to be able to, to get together. And I know, man, a lot of you probably have like plans to like go to the beach or swimming and boating, barbecues, whatever it is that you have. Uh, but Memorial Day weekend, obviously, the, the reason for Memorial Day weekend is that we are remembering uh, those lives that have been given, have been sacrificed for our freedom. Uh, throughout history, throughout the couple hundred years of our country, uh, there have been many lives that were sacrificed so that we have the freedoms that we have uh, today, that we can meet in a place like this because of the freedom that we have and that we can uh, have a job and that we can go to school and that we can uh, live each day uh, how we would like to because of the freedoms that were given to us and sacrificed lives by so many people. And uh, so I pray that you would uh, remember that tomorrow when you're barbecuing or, you know, drinking your Pepsi or whatever it is that you're doing uh, tomorrow, hanging out at the beach, that you take just a moment and and just reflect and remember and and thank God for all of those people that have given their life uh, so that we can have the freedom that we have. Uh, For me, I had a a good friend of mine that was in my youth group that was about two years behind me, but a good friend uh, that, uh, that died in Afghanistan about five years ago now. And uh, so every Memorial Day since then, it, it's meant a lot more to me because now it, it, it's a little closer to home. And some of you uh, may have that similar situation where a family member or a friend or a friend of a friend uh, who gave up their life um, in, in the years past uh, so that we could have these freedoms. So I just pray that you would remember that tomorrow and why, just take a moment and think about that. Uh, but this works out really well. Uh, our sermon series, Alive and Free, it's just a two-week little one that, that I'm doing uh, live last week. Today we're talking about free, freedom. It works out really good being with Memorial Day. I didn't plan that, but now it just kind of worked out that way. So it worked out really good uh, that we are talking about freedom <clears throat> that we have. And I think freedom is something that a lot of us take for granted so often. Uh, we don't really uh, maybe even understand the, the, the implications of freedom and what we have by the freedoms that we do have. And uh, I think 
one of those things in, in ways that so many of us will realize the freedom that we have is when it's something that's maybe taken away from us or it's diminished, it's, it's, it's decreased how much freedom we have. That's when we begin to experience like, man, I had this freedom and now I don't. And for me, uh, I've always felt pretty free and uh, I realized my freedom got uh, diminished and minimized uh, about nine and a half months ago uh, when Carly was born. Uh, you didn't really realize how much freedom you actually had until all of a sudden there's another little person that you have to worry about and freedoms have been uh, decreased. And, uh, but well worth it, obviously, but freedom has, has definitely decreased. Now there's some of us in here, uh, those of you that are in here and have kids, uh, and I've only been a parent for nine and a half months. I don't have it all figured out. I don't even have a little bit figured out, I would say. Uh, but I, I understand and I, and I love my little girl and I love what comes with that. But man, there are some freedoms that you don't have once you become a parent. And there's several of you in here that don't have kids and you're like, you think you've got it figured out. You think you've got to figure out what it means to be a parent. And, oh, and, you know, just a little bit of here and there will change, but everything else will be pretty much the same. No, it won't. That's not how it's going to go down. Uh, the freedoms that you have, you don't realize until they are missing. For example, you're driving down 17, you and, and your spouse, and the two of you are driving down, and you're like, you know, your husband says, oh, look, there's a new restaurant. We should try that out. When would you like to go? Well, how about now? Well, let's go. Let's go to that restaurant. So you go to that restaurant, you sit, you eat a lovely dinner. You come home after that dinner, you just talk about how great the food was, the, the, ex, the, the, the experience of being there together, and you, and you sit down, you open up a book, you, you know, turn on the TV, you enjoy some time together, and then you go to bed, and you get to bed, and you, right before you turn off the lights, you look to your spouse, and you're like, you have a good night of sleep. You as well, and you say, good night, good night, and you go to sleep. And several hours later, when you decide, you wake up, and you're there, and you enjoyed your time of sleep. That's not how it happens when you have kids. You see, you're driving, when you have kids, you're driving down the street with your spouse. And you're like, oh, look, there's a new restaurant. When would you like to try that out? And your wife says, does it have a drive-thru? I say, no. And she says, then I guess it'll be a long, long time before we will experience that. And then you go home and you don't just open a book or watch TV and do what you want because then you have something else that you have to take care of and it is a human being. There are things that go along with the human being that you must do and that you must participate in and get all these things ready and da-da-da-da-da. And then finally you get that little human being into bed where you hope and you pray that she sleeps for a long, long time. And you begin to try to do some things around the house that you know that you couldn't do while she was awake. So you begin to clean the house, go to the bathroom, those kinds of things. <laughs> and you're exhausted and you get to bed and instead of saying goodnight and goodnight and turning off the lights, you look to your spouse and you say, good luck. And she says, Godspeed. <laughs> and you hope that you don't see her for several hours as you're sleeping. You see, the freedoms that we have are a lot like that, and that we don't really understand or realize how much freedom we have until it's removed, until it's taken away, and we begin to look at that. You see, the, the freedom that, that we have in Christ, as we talked about last week, that we are alive in Christ, and that today we're going to talk about how we are now free because we are alive in Christ. I want to share with you a passage of scripture out of 1 Peter chapter 2. It says this, 1 Peter chapter 2, it's on the, on the screen, it's also going to be in your guide, uh, verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God, honoring everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor." Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, 
when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, then you en- and suffer it for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin; neither was there deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten. But continued entrusting himself to him who judges unjustly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is an important passage of scripture as we, uh, as we read through this. Uh, but to understand, if you maybe if you're looking at your Bible, looking at an app or whatever, the heading uh, over these verses that we just read uh, in my Bible it says submission to authority. Now, if you were to see that and think, well, I thought we were talking about freedom. Well, here's the thing: this this has to deal with freedom. It does deal with freedom. So when we read a passage of scripture like this, I want us to be able to look. I want us to pull out six different truths, six different truths, uh, things that are about free people. The first one is this: that free people live in submission. You know, you're like, what? Like, that? how? What? That doesn't even make sense. It does make sense. And Jesus tells us why uh, right here as Paul is reflecting on the life of Christ. See, respect for our authorities, whatever their level might be. The scripture said, be subject to every human institution. Be subject to it. Submit before it. Have respect for the authority that is in our lives. It's very difficult maybe thing to, to have or to understand, but ideally the idea is that we are submitting to an authority because there, are a re- there is a reason for that submission. There isn't a reason for that authority. You see, in Romans 13.1, it says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Every person submit. There's no authority except given by God. What does that mean? That means that anybody that we have that's an authority figure in our life is given or is, is allowed that position by God. And that we should have respect and we should have, submit to that authority. It's something very difficult for us to do when we want to be free people and we think, well, how, why, that doesn't even make sense for me to submit and to be free. Well, let me give you an example. Have you ever been driving down 526? Be like, man, I'd really like to be going about 90. I'm not saying that you can't. I'm just saying, you know, like that might be something you've done. I'd like to go a lot faster. But there is a speed limit set up, not for a reason to just keep you down and to keep you from being free. No. There is an authority. There is a speed limit that's set up because of protection and safety for not only yourself but for others. That's the case with many laws, many things that we face and we see in our life, is that the authority is there to help govern and to help preserve and to, for safety of not only one individual but for a lot of other people as well. We're free right here in the United States, but uh, we still have to submit to these authorities that we have uh, in our life. You see, we are free people uh, in God's kingdom, but we still have to submit to God's authority. You see, just being free and alive and free in Christ, alive and free in the kingdom of God, does not mean that we can now simply do anything that we want to do. But it means that we are freed by God from sin so that we can experience, so that we can live a life that glorifies, that resembles, that reflects him and his will. There will always be authority in our lives, and how we handle it reflects our relationship with God. 
You ever thought about that? How you handle an, an authority figure in your life, whether you rebel or whether you submit to an authority, is actually a resemblance or reflects how you have a relationship with God. Put it this way, working with students, I can tell you this, if I have a, a, a student who rebels against authority in the, as a te- rebels against their teacher, rebels against their parents, I can also show you the same student as one that rebels against God. You see, for someone that submits to their employer or to their, their, their government or to the boss, the someone that submits to that is someone that would submit to God. It's very hard to be rebellious in one area and then submit in the other. It's both. It, it's the idea is that it reflects our relationship with God. You know, when it comes to authority, a lot of times we have to realize and maybe put ourselves back and admit that there's somebody else that maybe has a little bit more information. For example, uh, a Department of Water Resources representative shows up at a Texas ranch and says to the rancher, says, I need to, I'm here uh, to, uh, to look over your land about water allocation to make sure everything's, you know, uh, on the up and up and everything's going well. And the rancher replies, he said, that's great, you know, you, you know, feel free, but don't go in that field over there. And this representative kind of puffs up. He says, do you know who I am? I, I, this badge right here is, by, is provided to me by the U.S. government that says that I can go on any agricultural land I want to, that I can look and go wherever I want, no matter who it is, and no matter, there's no questions that you can ask. Do you understand that? Do you get that? And the rancher says, okay, and he just nods, and he goes on about his business. Well, a little bit later on, he hears these screaming and yelling and screaming, and he looks across, and he sees this, this water representative guy running across the field with a huge bull chasing him. And so that rancher runs up to the fence, and he says, your badge, your badge, show him your badge. <laughs> you see, the rancher had a little bit more information. And the other guy didn't want to admit that that guy was maybe the authority in what was going on in the land. Have you ever experienced like that in your relationship with God? Did you try to tell God, this is who I am. Don't you know who I am? Let me do this. Let me take care of this. And all the while God's saying, you might think this is right, but there's a danger that lurks ahead if you do that. How many times have we asked God, God, I need this. God, I want this. And he doesn't provide, and you're like, well, he just didn't answer to me. It's like, no, he did answer to you. He said no. And there's a reason, because he has something better and bigger planned for you down the road. But so often we want to take control of our own and say, well, I'm I'm free. I have freedom. I can make my own decision. You can. But God's offering a better way that when you submit to his authority, you will begin to experience that. The second thing uh, about free people is this. Free people seek to do good. Free people seek to do good. Verse 15 uh, actually said, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. You should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. God's will for his people is that they would do good. That you would do good things. That you would live a life where you were trying to do good and help and provide for everyone. And provide for other people. Provide for your family and that you would seek to do good things and good deeds to help. You see, that's a a reflection of what Christ did for each one of us. Is that he came and in his goodness he did something sacrificially for us. uh, James, excuse me, 2, 26 says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Faith apart from works is dead. We will claim to have a faith in God and what he can do and what he's done for us. But apart from our works, if it's separate, if we are not working like our faith says and proclaim and we talk about all the time, then it's dead. 
You see, our, our words and our actions need to line up. That we can proclaim to have this faith, but when it comes down to it, do we really have it? When we are tested and tried, do we have faith in that? When we live our, just our life and everything's going well, are we having our faith and are we showing and demonstrating that faith? You see, good can mean a lot of different things. It can mean doing good deeds. It can mean some kind of a social justice thing that, that maybe that you're involved or have a passion about, you know, clean water to a country that can't have it. Helping, uh, you know, orphans that, that are in need of care. Whatever it may be. There may be something that you can jump behind and promote and champion for the love of Christ and to be able to proclaim the love of Christ through. Maybe it's charity. Maybe it's, it's donating money to a charity. Maybe it's donating time or resources to a charity and serving and helping so that people can be able to experience the love of Christ through your actions as you serve and as you give and provide. But it can also mean this. Integrity, honesty, truthfulness. You see, to do good is to actually live a life where we're trying to live a life of goodness, trying to live a life that reflects and resembles who Jesus Christ actually is, that he was good, so now we should try to live good. In this passage of Scripture, we can realize that uh, we do good to demonstrate God's love for us and for others, that we are demonstrating that we are showing that love to everyone else. But also, doing good shuts up the haters. And what I mean by that is when you look at this passage uh, of Scripture that was in First Peter, it said uh, that you should put up, uh, excuse me, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. That you should shut up the haters, that you would quiet those that would come and attack you and, and say, you know, you proclaim to have this faith, but yet your actions don't line up with it. You claim to say you believe in Jesus Christ who loved all people, but yet you don't love all people. You see, to do good is to reflect and to resemble who Jesus Christ actually was. But we compromise ourselves and we compromise the goodness of God if these things don't line up. We compromise ourselves and we compromise the goodness of God if we don't begin to, you know, look differently than the world. If we look the same as everyone else, but we proclaim to have a relationship with Christ, man, what is that going to do? It's going to hurt our testimony. It's going to hurt our witness. Why would somebody else want to submit their life to Christ when you're not any different when they look at you? When you meet Christ, you should be looking different. You should be looking different in a way of how you act and how you treat people, not only in the words that you say, but also in the actions that you do. You know, hypocrites uh, are uh, what I would say is the leading roadblock for people that don't know Christ to come to know him. If you're old school Christian music uh, listener, DC Talk. You might remember DC Talk? Yeah? It's probably popping up in your mind. There's like one person like, yeah, DC Talk. Like, right. You know, DC Talk, old school Christian music. Uh, but in one of their albums, there was a, a statement that was said during uh, one of their songs where they said, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who say one thing with their mouth and live another thing with their words and their right. And why would anybody want to follow after Jesus when we are no different? When we experience life in the same way and we just proclaim and talk big, but we don't have actions to show it. We need to seek to do good. You see, a lot of times there are, there are opportunities where our, our words will say and then our actions get found out and, just make, and people find out that we don't live up to what we say or proclaim. For example, there was a family that came uh, to a church and they listened to a, a great message on like, you know, living out evangelism in your life. 
they begin to think like, man, you know, we, we know Christ, we talk about Jesus, and we have all these things, and we want to treat people well, but we're not doing good enough jobs, so they were convicted by it. So mom and dad and the kids on their way home, they're like, what can we do? And they came up with this idea that their neighbor family live right next door. They're like, we need to invite them over for dinner, and we need to just share the love of Christ with them. And they're like, yeah, let's do that. So they get home, mom calls them up and says, hey, would you all like to come to dinner uh, one night this week? And we would just love to just to have you all over for dinner and just to talk and get to meet and, you know, and fellowship together. And that, those parents are like, yeah, that'd be awesome. We'll, you know, we'll love and we'll, to do that. We'll come over. How about this night? And they do. So that night arrives. And as they're sitting there at the table, mom's wanting to show off, you know, like, well, we raise our kids with Christian standards and, you know, good kids. And we act and we speak and we, we are a Christian family. So she says, little Johnny, why don't you say grace? Well, little Johnny was a little nervous because now it wasn't just his family, but there was a lot of family there. And he was kind of nervous. And he says, but, uh, you know, Mama, I just don't know what I'm supposed to say. And so Mom, after kind of just an awkward moment of silence, says, well, say what, say what your dad said uh, this morning at breakfast. He says, okay. And he says, dear God, we have those awful people coming to dinner tonight. <laughs> it begins to go on. You see, the actions of the parents had bled down into the actions of the kids. And the actions... And even this point, the words weren't lining up with the other words. You know, how often do you proclaim and say who you are in Christ, but then you live out something differently and it gets found out? It doesn't just reflect bad on you, but it reflects bad on who Jesus is. Man, we have a, a, a calling in our life to a different standard. If you are someone that knows Christ, you have that calling in your life to live at a different standard. To not try to hinder or be a roadblock to someone else coming to know Christ. For those of you that are here and do not know Christ, I just want to say I'm sorry for those of us, myself included, that we don't always live up to the standard that we have set, that God has set for us. We're not perfect people. We don't claim to be perfect, but we claim to know the one who is. The second thing, or excuse me, the third thing about free people is that free people serve the living God. Free people serve the living God. It says in this passage in 1 Peter that live as people who are free, living as servants of God. To live freely as servants of God, to serve God and to serve others. Christians, we should have a servant's heart. There's nothing more greater than to serve and to have a heart for serving other people and just to be able to demonstrate the love that God had for us in the way that he served us and to be able to demonstrate that to someone else and to be able to serve them. See, serving is living out what Jesus actually did for us on the cross. He came and he served us. You ever think about it like that? That Jesus came, he didn't have to, but he came to serve you and to serve me by dying on the cross in our place. What greater service could there be? But our service to others, to our community, to our nation, to our, our world, is supposed to be one that reflects the serving that God did by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross. Matthew 20, verse 28 says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and give his life as a ransom for many. Came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve. He gave his life as a ransom for many. You can just replace that man and say, he gave his, ransom, he gave his life as a ransom for me. Because he did. He came and he served and he submitted himself to death, death on a cross, for sins that he did not commit. If we seek out opportunities to serve using our passions and to serve using our talents. Man, we have a lot of passionate people right here in this room. We have a lot of talented people right here in this room. But you need to find opportunity to serve using your passions and your talents. Now, there are some times when your passion and your talent does not line up. Man, I love music. Love it. 
And I keep offering to Michael, like, Michael, dude, like, I'll sing, I'll play guitar, you just let me know, dude, I want, I want to serve. And Michael never says no, but he's never said yes either. <laughs> See, our passion and talent maybe don't always line up, because trust me, you don't want me up here singing or playing guitar. You see, find an opportunity for you to be able to use your passion and your talent. Maybe they go together, and it's, which is awesome, and you can do something amazing. And maybe they don't go together, and you can still do something amazing. What are you passionate about? What is on your heart? What is in your mind? that Man, I would love to see this happen or do this and go and do it. What are you talented in? What has God blessed you with and gifted you with that you're not even using right now? What talent do you have in your back pocket and you're saying, man, I have never really found the opportunity when the opportunities have been there, but you just haven't voluntarily said, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to serve and I'm going to do this. What is your ministry? Where are you serving right now? That should be the question that we have. This summer, in August, we have 13 people going to Peru. Uh, this will be the third year that uh, a team has gone to Peru. And uh, this will be, for me, this will be the sixth time uh, that I've been. And just a, a great ministry opportunity, a great way to be able to serve. To be able to share the gospel, to serve those that are in need. To be able to help uh, give food to those that uh, may not get to eat that day. Or maybe they only got one meal and it was a cold cereal meal. And then that afternoon they get to get a hot meal because we served them. And we served and we helped. I've had the opportunity to, to be involved in, in building a, a house for somebody and to see a family that has no house that's living in a, a tent and to be able to give them a building, a structure to, to sleep in and to maybe feel a little more safe and a little more secure. Man, you will see lives change. You will see hearts and faces lighten up and brighten up. Because you are sharing the love of Christ. And you're saying, you know what? I'm not here to, to serve and to get, for me to get thanked for this. I'm here to serve because God has already served me and now I want to serve you. I want to share the love. Where are you serving right now? How are you sharing God's love and how he's changed your life? How are you changing and working in the lives of other people? How are you serving right now? The next thing is this, the fourth one. Free people will suffer. This is the one I know you're all waiting for right here, right? Free people will suffer. You will still suffer even though you are free in Christ. Sign me up, right? It's still going to happen. There's still going to be things that when you are doing everything right or what seems to be right, that you are still going to have trials and you are still going to suffer. And when you're doing wrong, you're going to experience those as well. But you will suffer whether you do right or wrong. Suffering will, uh, while doing everything right or what seems right and then being you know, going through this suffering, doing everything right, and then being, having suffering come at you that is unjustified, you're blessed through that. The scripture says that you are rewarded for that. In verse 19, it says, one endures, endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. You endure sorrows while suffering unjustly. When you suffer for something that is unjustified, you are blessed. You endure it. And you come out on the other side. Enduring suffering leads to maturity and it leads to growth in our faith like we talked about last week. Romans 8, 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that, has, that is to be revealed to us. The sufferings of this present time, the sufferings that we face here on earth, are not worth comparing to the glory that we will receive and be a part of when we are united with God for all eternity when we leave this earth. That means we can face anything that's here it's not even close. It's not even matching up with the glory, the great things that will come. As I said last week, what we experience here on earth, if you are a uh, person that is a believer in Christ, you have a relationship with Christ, this life 
is the worst that it gets. Whether how good or how bad it's going, this is the worst that it gets. And when you leave this earth, it only gets better. For those of you that do not have a relationship with Christ, you're trying to simply go about it and do this thing on your own. This life is the best that it gets. Because when you leave this earth, it only gets worse. You see, heaven and hell are two very real places. But Christ has bridged the gap for us to be able to get access, to be able to gain uh, life into heaven for all eternity through his death on the cross. But we will suffer in the way that he did on that cross. You see, Jesus endured the cross for our sake and to provide us with grace. That he, he covered our sin with grace. He endured the cross. He suffered the pain, the punishment, the beating that he went through so that we wouldn't have to go through it. All we are doing is we endure the trials and the sufferings that we face here on this earth. That we don't have to go through that pain and that punishment and that beating that he went through. You know, for many of us, we can sit here and ask the question, maybe we have, you know, why, why do good things happen to bad, or excuse me, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, I can tell you the, the straightforward answer is because there's sin. And I can also tell you this, that there's not one of us that's good. But your sin doesn't always lead to experiencing something bad. Right? When you, when you sit here and you ask yourself, like, why, why is it that my, my marriage is, is struggling? That we're hanging on by a thread. Why is it that my parents are, are getting divorced or have gotten divorced? And why do I have to experience that? Why is it that, that, my, uh, that I'm losing my job? Why is it that, that my, my parent uh, has, has cancer or some terminally ill disease? Why is it for us? I can simply just say that there's sin in the world. You see, if you remember the story of, of Lazarus. Lazarus, a friend of Jesus, died Mary and Martha, uh, sisters, they come and they find Jesus and they say, Jesus, like, your friend Lazarus has died. He's gone through this, this suffering, this pain, and, he, and he's experienced death. He is now dead. But if you would have been there, you could have saved him. Well, after four days of Lazarus being dead, Jesus brings him back to life. And in the process, he tells the people, he says, you know, you know why this happened? Do you know why Lazarus experienced this and died? It's so that I might be glorified. It's so that I might be able to bring him back to life, that I receive the glory, and that you can witness that, you can experience that, and you can see how I have changed and saved a life. Or the blind man that's in the Gospels, that uh, the people begin to ask Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he is now blind? And Jesus says, it's not either one of those. This man didn't sin, and because of that, he was blind. The same way that you didn't sin, and now your marriage is, is a struggle. Or that your family member sinned and now they have experienced a, a terminally ill disease. Jesus says, no. Those things happen so that I might receive the glory. So I might work through that trial, work through that suffering. And that when you come out on the other side, it's me that, ex- that receives the glory, not you. You see, we are going to experience suffering. We are going to experience trials and, and struggles that, that are in, just in life. But it's so that God gets the glory. When we come through it, when we rely on him that our faith strengthens, that it increases, that we become more mature spiritually. Number five, the fifth thing, free people try to live sinlessly. Try to live sinlessly. In our first Peter scripture, it says, leaving you an example, or excuse me, Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Free people try to live sinlessly. He lived through every attack that came his way so that we could know it was possible to do so and how to do it step by step. 
But so many of us don't look to the life of Christ to, to resemble or to model our lives after. We look to our culture, to others that are, uh, that are people that are imperfect just like us. When, when Jesus is saying, I've given you the example. I, I've set it out like this is what you are to do and how you are to live. You see, we are to try to live sinlessly. We cannot do it because we are imperfect people, because we have sin in our life. Jesus was sinless and lived through his entire life and never sinned. Can you imagine that? He never responded, as this passage of Scripture said, he never responded out of sin or uh, when somebody confronted him or attacked him or persecuted him. He never responded in sin. But he never acted in sin either. You think about that? That this is a, a man that walked down the road and he never looked on a woman with lust. That he never lied. That he never cheated anyone. And go on and go on. He's never done any of that. He lived sinlessly. And he took this sinless life he took it to the cross. And he took the sin of you and of me. He took it on his own shoulders and he died on the cross for us in our place. He substituted himself so that we wouldn't have to go through it, so that we wouldn't have to experience it. We will be bad-mouthed, we will be persecuted, we will be hated because of a relationship with Christ. We will be bad-mouthed, we will be yelled at, we will have all these things come at us. And how we respond, how we react, do we live it? Do we do that sinlessly? Or do we seek vengeance in, 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 when, when somebody comes at us? Do we seek to retaliate when someone uh, attacks us? And, or do we live in a life where we say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to hold myself to a higher standard. I'm not going to submit to down and, and put myself down on their level. That I'm going to live a life where I go about my actions that reflect and resemble God. That, uh, that I try not to lie. That I try not to steal or cheat or try not to do all of these different things. Because you know what? It's very difficult to do, isn't it? It's impossible. But we are to try to live sinlessly and model ourselves after Christ. You know how we know that it's impossible? Look to a a child. When you ask a child, did you take that cookie? I saw you take that cookie. They took that cookie, right? Like They know instantly how to lie. It's not something that you've taught them. It's just our sinful nature. You see, we have these, this idea, this mindset of, of what we want to do and how we want to live. But the whole time God's saying, you need to try to model yourself after my son, Jesus Christ, who lived sinlessly. To try to live a life of perfection. You're not going to be able to do it, but you have to try. Proverbs 4, verse 4 says this. He, meaning God, taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Hold fast to my words. Have them in your heart. Keep my commandments and live. So that when something happens, something bad happens, it's not sin and anger and all those things that flow out, but it's the words of God that flow out. Not only out of your mouth, but out of your actions and the way that you carry yourself. To obey God is free people soaked in the grace of the cross. And the cross provides us with grace, provides us with forgiveness and mercy. You see, it's, it's soaked in there. The, the shadow of the cross is where we should all try to live. And the fact that our sins, our imperfections are covered by God. It's covered by the blood of Christ. But our freedom, hear this part, our freedom in Christ is not a license to sin. We haven't been saved by God and saying, oh man, well now I can go and I can lie and I can cheat and I can do all of these things because I'm forgiven. It's the wrong attitude to have. It's the wrong calling in your life. 
It's the wrong thing that God's asked you to do as a part of his will. Because he wants to use you, your life, and how you live to be able to lead others to the same thing. To be able to lead others and say, you know what? Man, look at this guy or look at this girl over here who loves Jesus, who talks about loving Jesus, and then who actually loves others like Jesus loved them. That should be our goal. That should be our desire. Because the sixth thing is this. Free people have been saved. Free people have been saved, saved from our sin, saved from the sin that we are entangled in, that we are entrenched in, that we are shackled and imprisoned in. The world thinks freedom is being able to do what you want, when you want, with whoever you want. See, that's not real freedom. That's sin taking over our lives and pushing us and pressing us and molding us how sin wants us to be. But real freedom is this. If you're a note taker, write this down. Real freedom Real freedom is living in a relationship with God, knowing that our imperfections are removed by the blood of Christ. Real freedom is living in a relationship with God, knowing that our imperfections are removed by the blood of Christ. And you should feel free to be able to live in a relationship with God, knowing that if you mess up, if you make a mistake, if you sin, and let me change all them is to when you mess up, when you make a mistake, and when you sin, that you are forgiven. That you're covered. And to be able to live that life of freedom, knowing, man, I'm free sin. Even though I I sin, it's not going to stop me. It's not going to pull me out of the grasp, out of the hand of God the Father. Like, I am His. Man, we should rejoice in that. We should be excited about that, that we have been made alive in Christ, and now we are free by His blood on the cross. John 8, 34 to 36 says, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Everyone who practices sin, everyone who voluntarily engages in sin is a slave to sin. So you're not free like you might think you are. But... If the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. Meaning, if the Son has set you free, if you have been saved by the blood of Christ, you have accepted the free gift of salvation in what he did on the cross, you are free indeed. The question is this, do you want to be free? Do you want to be free? Do you want to experience life of freedom? Or do you want to continue to be entangled and shackled in sin? You see, sin is slavery and it's an imprisonment, but salvation in Christ is freedom. Do you want to experience a life where you are free to make mistakes while you pursue after perfection, you pursue after God? Man, I hope that's what's on your heart. I hope that that's what's in your head is that, man, I can, I can live a life where I seek after God. And every time I stumble, every time I fall, all my shortcomings, all the issues that I have, my imperfections, that those are covered by the blood of Jesus. Those are covered by the grace. Those are covered by the shadow of the cross. And see, it doesn't matter what the sin is that you have in your life. It doesn't matter where you come from, where you're at right now, and think, man, I've got some serious issues. Jesus wouldn't want me. No, he does. You're exactly who he wants. He wants you a part of his kingdom, and he wants to use you, and he wants to begin to convict you and mold you and shape you into what he wants you to be. The question is, will you allow yourself to submit to him? Submit your life, allow him to to be able to just infuse himself into who you are and to take over what you want to do, your will, your passion, your desire, and to take all those things and to shape them into something that is uh, seeking after God, that's pursuing after him. That That should be what we want to do. 
If we are free in Christ, we should want to live in Christ, live in that relationship with him where our imperfections, our sins are covered, redeemed, atoned for by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's real freedom. You know, this, the, tomorrow, as we talked about Memorial Day, remembering the lives that were sacrificed for us so that we could have the freedoms that we do today. And every day we should do that. We should also remember the life that was sacrificed for us so that we have the freedom to make the decisions and the choices that we do today. And so that we have the freedom that when we mess up or make a mistake that we are still forgiven for that. Don't use it as a license to sin, but use it as an as a, uh, opportunity to live your life freely. Let's pray.